let's review how we got up to chapter 35. We're on chapter 36 today, but let's just review quickly how we got up to chapter 35. We started off, we came to the Alter Rebbe completely in the dark. We knew nothing about the nature of our condition. And the first thing we found out is the duality of the two souls. Then we found out about the composition of the souls. We found out about the modes of expressions of the souls. And we also found, about, uh, found out a little bit about the nature of duality, of the duality in the world around us, uh, the, the holy and the profane around us. And that was the first eight chapters, basically what we've been calling our lexicon or our, uh, our new vocabulary. Then 9 through 15 were basically given a directive to be this person called a Benini who controls his behaviors, even if he can't control his emotions. And the tool that we were given for that is Mayak Shaltalalav, the brain controls the heart, which means impulse control. If that was getting frustrating, we have another tool, 16 and 17, the brain controls the heart, but a new way of explaining that. Create emotions through meditating. So we got meditation. If that proves to be taking too long, then we have another set of tools, 18 through 25. Activate the, what we call the spiritual adrenaline rush. Get yourself excited and uh, view the next mitzvah decision as a, uh, an all-or-nothing proposition. <clears throat> and with that, with the first 25 chapters, we basically had a, a perfect system for controlling our behaviors and for mustering sufficient emotional motivation to bolster those behaviors. But life happens. We're not practicing these uh, ideas in a vacuum. So 26 through 34 dealt with what do you do to stay emotionally focused when we have various different internal and external excuses for being uh, demotivated. So 26 through 34 were the emotional troubleshooting chapters to keep us in a positive emotional state so that we would apply everything that we had learned in 1 through 25. Okay. And then we came to chapter 35. And if you remember last week, I asked, at this point, at the point where we came to chapter 35, what else do we need? What are we lacking? What problem could we possibly have? And if you remember last week, we said, at the point we're at, when we come to chapter 35, our problem is of a philosophical nature. Remember that? A philosophical crisis, or an existential crisis, where we start to ask, what's the point of it all? Yes, we understand that if we apply this methodology we will gain behavioral mastery. But we begin to question the value of behavioral mastery when we know that the internal conflict, the emotional conflict, will never be fully resolved. 
Rings a bell? Okay. So in chapter 35, the Altareb says, we are now going to give comfort to the Bainini. The comfort is, if I could sum up chapter 35 in a sentence, lest you err and think that your Judaism as a Bainini or an aspiring Bainini is not the real Judaism, that only the tzaddik who has mastery over the emotions is actually living the ideals of, of Jewish faith. We are here to clarify that it is not through emotional attachment that one becomes united with God, but rather through the simple performance of physical deed. I think that was one long sentence. And that was chapter 35. And we gave the example of the soul. And not just any old soul, the soul of a tzaddik in Gan Eden, a disembodied soul of a tzaddik hanging out in paradise. And we said, as lofty of an experience as that soul is enjoying, that is still a subject-object relationship. If you really want to surrender and become an expression of God's will, to become a conduit for God's will, that only happens in a body. Okay. That was chapter 35. Following chapter 35, meaning when the really interesting stuff happens after the camera is off, you think this stuff is interesting. No, the real interesting stuff is after the camera is off. There were some questions about this entire approach, this emphasis of action over emotional attachment. And I realized, you know, teaching Tanya is, is, is a, of great benefit to me because it is only by interacting with others and being placed in a position to communicate these ideas to others that I'm reminded of how radical the concepts are. There are certain ideas, especially ideas that are fundamental ideas, that because they are so basic to Tanya and uh, because they are ubiquitous in the Hasidic worldview, particularly the Chabad Hasidic worldview, one can take them for granted. They become like the air that you breathe. This notion of the importance, the primacy of action over all is one such idea. And I want to try in this class 
to properly convey while giving over the subject matter of chapter 36. I want to try to properly convey just how central of an idea this is to the worldview that is espoused in Tanya. In other words, um, maybe I'll say it like this. We said in the very first class, who remembers back to class number one? Yeah? That there are books that are more instructional and books that are more informational, and we established that Tanya is which? More instructional. instructional. Good, all right. Tanya is a manual. However, there are spots in Tanya that become more informational. They inform our worldview because it's necessary for the instructions that are going to follow. Right now, I think the emphasis is on information. And not just information, but inf information of a, of a rather philosophical nature, having to do with the meaning of creation. Why Hashem made a world. So let's, let's try to do it within the framework that chapter 36 gives us, but understand that I'm trying to also communicate this core idea in the Chabad Hasidic worldview at the same time. Okay. So let me begin by telling you a story which is semi-apocryphal, by which I mean... I'm sure it's true, I just don't have first-hand confirmation of all of the details. The story has to do with a shliach, and I suppose I could even name who the shliach is, not that it makes a difference in the telling of the story, but it was Chaim Gutnik from Australia, who had occasion to pay a visit to one of the non-Hasidic yeshivas. And I suppose I could also say which yeshiva, but for the sake of not appearing to cast aspersions, I will not mention which yeshiva. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the telling of the story. So Rabbi Gutnik comes to New York and he has paid a visit recently to this non-Hasidic yeshiva and he conveys to the Rebbe that in the I'm going to continue using the term non-Hasidic because that's as general as I can be in the non-Hasidic world there are two complaints I believe he said complaints, tainas, about the Rebbe. One is, why did Chassidus Chabad, and especially of the seventh generation, build an entire worldview based on one little medrash? Now, I suppose I should fill that in a little bit. When you say that Chassidus Chabad 
and especially the seventh generation, is built upon one medrash. Do you know which medrash we're referring to? Okay. There's a medrash in Tanchoma, Pashas Nase, and it says that Hashem created the world that there should be to him a dwelling place in the lower realms. Now, nobody's saying that that isn't a legitimate source. However, in the... uh, in the great, vast annals of, of rabbinic literature, where the subject of the reason for creation is treated, this isn't necessarily, the reason that given by the Medishin Tanchoma, Parshas Nasa, is not necessarily the one that's given the most weight. In fact, there's a a discourse by the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad, from the year Tafresh Samachvav, 5666, which would be uh, 1896. Does that make sense? And it's a famous, what we call a Hemshech. A Hemshech means a continuation or a serial. Um, meaning that it's a series of discourses of my mother. And in that Hemshech, in that serial, the Rebbe Rashab addresses the most well-known reasons that are given, that are offered by our tradition for the, for, for the creation of the world. Um, for instance, it is the nature of the good to do good. So God created a world in order to bestow kindness, to bestow goodness. And the greatest goodness is earned goodness. So he made it, he made a system whereby we could earn reward. Or another reason, in order that he should be known. Or um, that in Hashem's reality a potential cannot go unrealized so if Hashem has the potential to create therefore he must create so to speak and the Rebbe Rishab goes through and analyzes these different reasons and shows the legitimacy of each approach but also shows how none of them fully explain one problem. They all leave one problem unresolved. They all explain why Hashem created, but they don't explain why He created this physical world. 
some background is in order. I hope I'm not being presumptuous by saying, obviously, we do not believe that this physical world is the only plane of reality. We believe that there is much more to reality than the phenomenological universe. The reality that you can touch and taste and smell and hear and see. And not only is there a vast spiritual reality, but the spiritual reality is organized into different tiers, each one of which we refer to as an Eilam, Olam, Ayin Vav Lamed Mem. And that word for world comes from the word Helen, which means concealment. A world is a concealment. Each system of reality masks the creator from the creation. And these systems of reality compound one another. So if you were to imagine placing translucent curtains over a sunny window, a sun-lit window, eventually with enough translucent curtains you would have an opaque effect. This world, the physical world, is the compounded effect of all the other oilamites, all the other concealments, to the extent that in this system of reality that we refer to as Elam Hazahagashmi, this physical world, creator is so masked and creation is so appears to be so autonomous that one can actually look at this world and be deluded that it operates and functions on its own. That it has ontological independence. Which means that it exists by itself. In the spiritual realms, there's no such delusion. The spiritual realms are likened to light. If you see a beam of light, you know that there's a light source. There's no such thing as a beam of light that's detached from its light source. You can't cut off a piece of light, put it in your pocket, walk into the other room, pull it out, and release it. If there's light, just follow it to the light source. And that's the relationship between creator and creation in the spiritual worlds. If there's a creation, there must be a creator. The angels and the souls before their embodiment 
live in such a reality where creation itself is an obvious testimony to the fact that there is a creator. This physical world is an anomaly and is unique in that it is a creation that, that, that makes you think that maybe there's not a creator. Which really, if you think about it, is, is quite a feat. That's quite a feat for a designer to design something and not only to design it, but to bring it into being and then to continuously sustain it and have it all appear as if it's happening by itself. So going back to the Rebbe Shab's treatment of this subject, all the various different approaches that explain why Hashem created, they explain creation, but they don't explain how it came this far, why Hashem had to keep pushing. After He already had the highest heavens, why did He keep pushing? Why was there oilam upon oilam, concealment upon concealment? Why did he keep going with lower heavens and lower heavens and lower heavens until finally culminating in physicality? That's not explained. The only way to explain that Hashem continued with what we call, this is a technical term, but it's incredibly... Uh, important to to the study of Hasidus. Seder Hishtalshalis. Seder is an order. Hishtalshalis is from the word shalshalis, like a chain. So a chain-like system or chain-like order. Why did Hashem continue with the Seder Hishtalshalis, with the chain-like descent of worlds until he got to this lowest world. You can't get any lower than this. Why? Because he didn't just desire creation for any of the various other reasons, which are legitimate reasons, but not only that reason. Hashem desired specifically this type of creation. He desired this type of concealment, the most abject concealment there could be, which, as we mentioned, is a creation which hides the fact that it has a creator. And that he desired, furthermore, that he should find his home in that very place. So he desired the paradox that where would he ultimately find a home? Not in the heavens, which are hospitable to him, because they recognize him. They automatically recognize him. But rather he would find his home in the most inhospitable form of reality. And by a home, what do we mean? What is a home for Hashem? A home means 
the place where you are yourself. In other words, ultimately, the essence of Hashem, who Hashem is, will be expressed in the physical world. That is not expressed in the spiritual worlds. Hashem's essence is not revealed in the spiritual worlds. To the contrary, Hashem masks his essence from the spiritual worlds in order to allow spiritual entities to enjoy their relationship with him. Remember, they have a subjective relationship. We spoke about this in the previous chapter. If Hashem would reveal his essence to the spiritual entities, they would become subsumed in that essence and they would no longer have a subjective experience. <coughs> we don't have that problem because our subjective experience is so diminished and we only have the objective experience of surrendering to his will and being a, a conduit to express that will. But ultimately, ultimately, when Mashiach will come, the greatest place for the revelation of godliness will be the physical world. When Hashem's essence will be revealed. Not in heaven, but in the physical realm. So chapter 36 begins and says, Oh, I was in the middle of a story. <laughs> Chaim Gutnik says they have two complaints. One, they ask, how come the whole Chassidus Chabad, and especially in the seventh generation, is built upon one little madrash? You understand, they're speaking of it, you know, dismissively as an obscure source. The second question is, how come when the Rebbe comes out with new initiatives, he doesn't consult with the other G'daylam, with the, with the other Torah leadership? And as I said, this story is semi-apocryphal. I cannot be uh, held responsible for the accuracy of the words. And I do not want to put words in the Rebbe's mouth. But this is the story as, as I heard it. The Rebbe said to Rabbi Gutnik, the first question answers the second question. The first question answers the second question. The first question is, how come there's this humongous emphasis to the point of making this the very foundation on the idea of a dwelling place in the lower realms? The second question is, why is the Rebbe not consulting 
with the rest of Torah leadership about his various uh, initiatives. And the Rebbe said that the first question answers the second question. What does that mean? In other words, why am I not consulting with others about how to accomplish the goal? We have no consensus on the goal. We have two different definitions of the purpose of creation. We don't agree on the whole reason for which we exist and why we were put here. So if they're even asking question number one, which is why you're making a big to-do about this dwelling place in the lower realms concept, which is not an obscure concept, it is a fundamental concept, but if they don't see it that way, how am I supposed to consult with them on how to accomplish that very goal? My point is merely to convey to you that I am conscious of how radical the idea is. At the same time, I want to make sure that it's understood that this idea does not originate in Chassidus. It originates in Chazal, even if one will dismissively refer to it as an obscure source. That's first of all. And second of all, as I... as I tried to convey by summarizing the logical arguments in, uh, of the Rebbe Rashab in the uh, serial of 5666, Tafrish it makes sense, it only makes sense that we need this explanation for why there is a world. So chapter 36 begins, and the Alter Rebbe says, It is well known that the purpose of creation was that Hashem desired a dwelling place in the lower realms. Now you're going to say, why did he desire it? Well, that's not a fair question. As the Alter Rebbe said, not here in Tanya, but elsewhere, rather, this is, that's another saying as well, but also here is, that regarding a taiva, a desire, one cannot ask why. Let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean that it's impolite to ask why. That it's none of your business why. That's not what it means. It means it's in, it's, it's an impossible question. It's an absurd question. The whole definition of a desire is that it is not logical. It's not illogical. Just like you wouldn't describe 
a uh, <coughs> you you wouldn't say that an idea is so profound that it cannot be physically touched with your hands. That simile would not convey anything because no idea, even the ones that are simple, cannot be touched, can be touched with, with your physical hands. Physical touch is not an apt description nor a way of, or a criterion for, dis, for, for uh, evaluating an idea. Similarly, you cannot say about a desire, well, that's a rational desire, that's an irrational desire. That desire is more rational, that desire is less rational. Desires are not judged on the scale of rationality. They're not irrational, they're not illogical, they are either, you could say, a-rational or supra-rational, they supersede logic. But a desire, a fiat, a whim, well, whim sounds too uh, casual. And this is not casual. This is anything but casual. This is the deepest expression of who I am. If you want to know who I am, don't find out what I know. Find out what I desire. What I know is just my intellect. What I desire is me. What I desire is, is ultimately the closest way, the closest way of, 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 of you appreciating what I'm all about is for you to find out what I like and dislike. Aspiration? Aspirations might be part of it, yeah. I mean, I think it's synonymous. When we say, for instance, that Hashem revealed himself at Sinai, what does it mean he revealed himself? He revealed his desires. 248 likes, 365 dislikes. I heard someone once say that intimacy is into me see. If you want to be close to me, find out about me. What does it mean to find out about me? Don't find out what I've done. That's superficial. That's not me. Don't even find out what I know. Though that's just stuff that I've that I've learned. Find out what I desire. What I desire is idiosyncratic to me. Which is why you can't ask me, why do you like it? I don't know, I just like it. You cannot force me to defend my desire. You could force me to defend a need. If I claim to need something, you can challenge me and say, argue in defense of your need. And if I cannot, maybe you've just proven that I don't really need it, because needs are practical and therefore have an explanation. But if I say I desire something and you challenge me on it, you say, no, you don't desire. 
Convince me that you desire. Explain to me that that's what you desire. And then I'll believe you. I can't. In fact, my inability to explain to you my desire doesn't mean that I desire it less. It probably indicates that I desire it even more, even more deeply. Which is why I don't even have a way to articulate it intellectually. Because it's that unique to me, personal to me, idiosyncratic to me. Of course, we're speaking now in the realm of human experience, and this is only meant as a metaphor. But when we're talking about Hashem, what we mean is this. There is a concept of Hashem relating to the world through ten spheroids or emanations. Three intellectual, seven emotional. And then there's a sphera which surpasses all of them, known as keser, the crown. It is called the crown because it, like the crown goes on the head, this sphera encompasses all the spheroids in, in, in as much as it is transcendent. It cannot be um, compartmentalized. It is all-encompassing. And in emotional terms, we refer to it as the will, or the rotsoin. Emotions and intellect are aspects of the one who possesses them. But the will really conveys the very essence of the one who possesses that will. Which is why the Torah, which is the expression of Hashem's will, is comprised of 613 biblical commandments and seven rabbinical commandments, numerically equivalent to 620, which is kasser, chof, tof, reish, 20, 400, 200, 620. So Hashem's desire, his taiva, was that he should have a dwelling place in, a, in, in, in of all places in the most inhospitable realm, in the lowest world. And by lowest, what do we mean the lowest? Obviously, we don't mean spatially. We're not talking about higher and lower. By low, we mean the degree of concealment. concealment. Very good. Excellent. So Hashem wants to make his home. That means he desires his essence to be revealed in the realm which is the greatest concealment. In a place that he removed himself. Where he, hide, where he where hides, hides himself. And why does he desire it? We don't know. Not we don't know. We can't, we can't know. Because it is fundamentally unknowable. Not because it is beyond our intellect. Because it's not subject to intellect. It's not an idea, it's a desire. Yeah. I just have two questions. One, I don't understand. I thought, um, you know, the Deer Patach Tonin is universal. Not just Chabad's. You thought the Deer Patach Tonin was universal? Well, the source for it is in. 
right. It's beyond regular mainstream Judaism. Right. But the emphasis on that idea is certainly um, peculiar to Chabad. So what do they think? What do others think is the purpose of creation? I, I mentioned a few other, one of the, some of the other reasons that the Rebbe Rishav goes through, which are all legitimate reasons. And the other thing is, when we say you are your desires, yeah. that's all fine and good if your desires are not illegal, immoral, you know, against Torah. If a desire is something that's not allowed, so you are sinful, you are... The question was, what if your desire is an immoral desire? Saying you are that immoral desire. Okay, so desires. let me let me answer you very uh, tersely because I want to finish on time today. Um, if you want to know what the animal soul is really all about, don't find out what it does, because like we mentioned in the last chapter, we can hijack it and get it to do godly things. Find out what it desires. So if you have a desire that is not so wholesome, yeah, that is coming from the unwholesomeness of the animal soul, which is part and parcel of what it is. I hope that answers that question. Okay, I want, yeah. When you talk about the emphasis, does it go back to the Baal Shem or later? The emphasis on Dirabatachtainim? You're asking historically yeah. when does this become such an emphasis? Okay. Yes, you can see it in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tev, but it's not elaborated upon in such uh, it, it, the idea is there. The idea runs through the entire Tehras of Um But you have to remember that Chassidus Chabad is called that for a reason. Chassidus Chabad, Chochmah bin Adas, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, takes the ideas of Tehras of and elucidates them very clearly. So where do you find the elucidation of this idea in Chassidus Chabad? Starting with who? Well, starting from the beginning, from the Alter Rebbe, from chapter 36, where he says it is well known. That's the beginning of chapter 36. It is well known that the creation of the world was in order that Hashem should have a dwelling place in the lower realms. Yeah. What if someone is learning, but they're missing the will? They're missing desire. They lost it somewhere along the way. For that question, I would send us back to chapter 12. Can you lose desire? I don't want to get derailed on this. Okay? Don't get focused on the metaphor. Remember what we're talking about today. And I, and I really, I, 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 I'm going to ask for two more minutes and try to finish chapter 36 here. The purpose of creation of all of the worlds, why did Hashem keep going and going and going with concealment upon concealment upon concealment? Is because He desired in the place of the greatest spiritual darkness, ultimately, with the coming of Mashiach, 
That's where his essence should be most revealed. He desired the paradox that the darkest place should become the brightest place. Now, how does that come about? That's the subject of chapter 37. Chapter 37 will explain to us very clearly the mechanics by which the darkest place actually becomes the brightest place. And we're not going to talk about that now. For now, what is germane is that that is his desire. His desire is that the place of the greatest concealment should become the place of the greatest revelation. And why is this important for us to know? Tying it all back together. Because in chapter 35, we came to the Al-Tadebbe with an existential crisis. What's the point of action-based Judaism? And we began to answer in chapter 35 that the action, that action is the main thing. Now we are explaining it even more. Not only, like we said in chapter 35, that ultimately the only objective experience that one can have with God is through action. But furthermore, what we're saying now in chapter 36 is the only way to really give Hashem what Hashem wants is through action. What Hashem really most deeply desires happens in this world. So to really fulfill His desire is only through that which is unique to this world, namely action. You cannot fulfill his deepest desire through emotion. So the fact that you are not a tzaddik and cannot master your emotions does not imply whatsoever that you are lacking in fulfilling Hashem's deepest desire. To the contrary, the fact that we have focused on action is not because we're unable to master the emotions. It's not out of necessity. It's not because, oh, we have no choice. What do you say? It's not by default. By, by, uh, by default. Ideally, we would like to have the Judaism of a tzaddik where we have full-fledged Ava love of God and awe of God, but Nabuch, since we can't, let's do this action-oriented Judaism. No, that is not correct. You, you are not right. Hashem's deepest desire is only fulfilled through action. That's the point of chapter 36. Now, how it actually transpires that this action culminates in Hashem getting that dwelling place in this darkest of all realities, that will explain God willing in chapter 37.